Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Selling Greenville, your favorite real estate podcast here in the upstate of South Carolina. I'm your host, Stan McCune, realtor right here in the greater Greenville area of South Carolina, and you can find all of my contact information in the show notes if you need to reach out to me for any reason. I particularly would like for you to reach out to me if you need a realtor in the Greenville area, so please keep me in mind for that. All my contact information, if you need to reach out to me for any reason, is right there in the show notes. Um, And always my reminder to you guys, if you just have a second and you're using an app like the Apple Podcast app or like Spotify where you can leave a rating or a review, please go ahead and do that. Please, whatever app that you're using that you're listening to the show in, please make sure you subscribe to the show because that helps the show as well. Um, If you download episodes, that also helps the show. All of these little things um, are ways that you guys can give back to the show if you're appreciating the content uh, that I give you guys. Now, I am recording this on Friday, September 30th, just before we get hit by the outer bands of um, what is... Ian, the hurricane, it was a hurricane. Um, I don't think it is any longer, or if it is, it's soon going to be downgraded. Um, But we are about to get hit by the outer bands of this storm. Um, It's already, I'm I'm looking out my office window. The weather is kind of weird, kind of a weird hue, uh, a lot of swirling winds. And so I have on my mind the storms that happen and the weather that happens in Greenville and how this impacts real estate. Now, generally speaking, Greenville has fairly mild weather. If you've lived here for a while, you already know that. Usually the worst things that we experience are flooding and the occasional tornado. We have a lot of uh, thunderstorms. Um, We will have hail every now and then, but but major hail events are pretty rare for our area. Um, Tornadoes are a little bit more more common, Um, but even those tend to be I don't want to call any tornado mild, but they tend to not be the massive tornadoes that, that you get in the in the Midwest and some of these parts of the U.S. Um, but that being said, we do occasionally have some major storms. And again, like I said before, flooding is a very common thing here in, in the Greenville area. And and as I'm looking at some of the, the radar, by the way, I'm, I'm a bit of a weather nerd, um, and you guys might remember that I used to be an insurance adjuster, so I have a unique perspective on some of these things. Um, I've been on a lot of roofs for a lot of houses, inspecting them for hail damage, wind damage, um, all sorts of different things. So I have some experience when, uh, quite a bit of experience actually, I'm kind of underplaying it by saying some experience. I've got quite a bit of experience when it comes to uh, storm-related damage to to homes. Um, But with all that being said, um, I'm monitoring what's happening here very closely, and I, I expect that there will be some flooding. Um, Greenville does have flooding. That's a pretty common thing. Um, we might have a tornado or two that comes out of this. I'll be interested to see uh, what happens once the, the main storm kind of parks over the Greenville area. If it does, um, uh, it, you know, it's very possible that it'll just bypass us. I think right now they're kind of predicting that the that the, the main uh, part of the storm, the central part of the storm, will actually stay east of Greenville, so uh, so we'll see what happens there. Um, by the time you're listening to this, you'll already have known what, what has happened, so uh, there won't be any suspense for you, but for me at the moment, there's some suspense, um, and I expect that there will probably be a lot of trees down, a lot of limbs down, and some electrical outages before it's all said and done. Uh, Duke Energy is already sending me multiple notices on my phone 
uh, to let me know that they're expecting some outages. Um, so we'll have to uh, see how all that goes. Hopefully it's not too bad. I'm keeping all of my devices charged just to be safe. Um, but how, how in the end does all of this pertain to real estate, pertain to our homes, our real estate investments, etc.? Um, I did an episode in 2020, I believe was the year, um, on the storm season and the impact that storms have on real estate. Um, but that was two years ago, and I've got some fresh content since then. And again, this is kind of front of mind because we have a storm coming through right now. Um, I believe even the episode that I did in 2020 was during a, a storm as well. Um, so uh, apparently these storms get me excited and, uh, and inspire me with, with new content. Um, but I, I want to discuss some, uh, a, a fresh perspective that I have that I've gotten in the past couple of years. Some of this will overlap with that podcast in 2020. Some will overlap with a recent podcast I did on, uh, on flood zones. Um, but I'm, but I think for the most part, this will be new content for you all. Um, so speaking of flood zones, I, I want to start there. And some people will call them floodplains. Those are essentially the same thing. Flood zones, floodplains. Um, I'm not going to overlap too much from my from my previous podcast, but it, but it is important to discuss these as part of storm related uh, real estate related items. Okay, flood zones are play a big role in our local market because Greenville has a lot of them. We have a lot of flood zones. Some some parts of the country don't have very many flood zones, don't have very many floodplains in Greenville. We do, and a lot of people don't really understand them and how they work and, and what's important about them. Um, now, for starters, most floodplains in our area are around creeks and rivers. That's a very important thing to keep in mind. Usually, when there's a creek or when there's a river, there is some sort of flood plain that is associated with that creek or river. Now, lakes and ponds are not that way. Typically, when there is a lake or a pond, uh, there is not, I personally have found that FEMA has not deemed those flood zone areas, which is interesting. Again, we're talking about the land itself, not the, not the water. Obviously, the water itself, you can't build on water. But once you get outside of the lake or the pond, I typically find that uh, FEMA does not deem those flood zones. I guess lakes and ponds, even when they, uh, when they get a lot of water dumped into them, uh, they don't expand to the extent that creeks uh, or streams or rivers do. Now, I have a creek that runs along my property line at the house um, that I'm in the process of moving to, and it's barely anything. I mean, it's not much of a creek at all. It's maybe like one to two inches of water on a normal day, and the banks on either side of the creek, um, I've, I've not climbed down there, but they have to be about 10 feet high. The odds that this creek, right, one to two inches, it's like the the size of the area where the creek itself is is probably like five feet wide um the gorge if you want to call it it's like a five foot wide gorge and again 10 foot banks on either side um the odds that that would ever fill up with enough water that it would overflow its banks uh, like i can't even imagine that i can't imagine how much water it would take for for that creek to overflow nonetheless that little bit of water, that one to two inches of water in uh, this tiny little gorge um, that has that has banks that are 10 feet tall, 
that results in a large portion of my lot being in a flood zone, interestingly. Now, that lot is about one and a half acres. Um, so the good news is that my house is not in the flood zone. That's the important detail. Um, and because my house is not in the flood zone, I'm not required to get flood insurance. My lender does not require for me to get uh, flood insurance. That being said, that doesn't mean that I can't get flood insurance, right? Um, flood insurance is always an option for anyone at any time. And, and I have actually gotten flood insurance priced out just out of curiosity. Curiosity, <laughs> can't speak there. Um, just out of curiosity, I got a, a quote on flood insurance just to see what it might cost um, and just to kind of weigh the, the risk versus the reward. And I've just determined at this point I'm not going to get it because I, it's just, it's really hard for me to imagine that that uh, creek would ever, A, overflow its banks. And then B, if it overflowed, my house is far enough from the creek that it would have to overflow a, such a tremendous amount to even get to my house. I mean, it would have to be an apocalyptic rain event. And so at this point, that's not something I'm worried about. That being said, I am going to be watching closely as we get Ian passing through to see what it does to my creek. So stay, stay tuned um, this will be a really good test run to see how much it fills up. Um, now, I've said this before on other podcasts, but it's important to say again, your homeowner's insurance does not protect you against flooding. It does not protect you against flooding. That is what flood insurance does. And even if you're not in a floodplain, common sense may dictate that you should go ahead and purchase flood insurance. Remember, the flood maps... Uh, can change, right? FEMA updates their flood maps. Uh, topography can change. So you could actually end up in a floodplain even if you aren't in one right now. You have to weigh the, weigh the risk versus the reward of protecting yourself with flood insurance. That's just something to keep in mind. Um, now, often during a major rain flood event, moving on from the kind of flooding aspect of it to more of the rain wind aspect of it, uh, of a storm, People will oftentimes see ceiling spots on their ceiling. This will happen after one of these kind of weirder storms. And many will say that the quote-unquote roof is leaking. Oh, there! I forgot to turn my phone off. And of course, my phone is going off. Let me put do not disturb on. Um, all right. So many will say that their roof is leaking or will assume that a roof is leaking because they see ceiling spots. Um, but ceiling spots can result from a variety of issues. I don't really like the term leaking roof. Um, that implies an ongoing leak. Um, but oftentimes, roof leaks are not ongoing. Oftentimes, it is a one-time uh, sort of thing that happens. Um, that being said, I'm just going to use the term because it's mostly used. Uh, it's the most commonly used phrase in real estate and because this is a real estate podcast, not a insurance podcast, I'm just going to, for the sake of this podcast, use the term roof leak. Um, so the most common reasons for roof leaks are two reasons, really. One is that the roof is old and worn out and just can't handle the elements anymore. And in the event of a worn out roof that just starts to leak, I I've got bad news. If you've got an old roof that just starts to leak, 
you are likely going to be denied coverage by your homeowner's insurance. Roof leaks are covered by homeowner's insurance, typically. But if your roof is just old and worn out, then they're just going to say, hey, this is just an old, worn out roof. Um, this wasn't sudden, accidental damage. This is, a, this is a roof that just needs to be replaced, um, that you were just negligent in not replacing it, and now this is your responsibility. That is one of the most common uh, reasons for roof leaks. The second most common reason, uh, and I, I shouldn't say that one is more common than the other. I don't really know how the percentages work out. But the other most common reason is that there is actual storm damage, specifically hail or wind damage that messes up the roof and results in it leaking. Now, this is, generally speaking, a covered loss by insurance. If you have roof, uh, wind, or hail damage, typically your homeowner's insurance will cover that and allow you then to either do repairs or replacement to your roof, gutters, you know, what, whatever is actually damaged in the process. Now, let me pause for a second and just say one thing. I've, I've said this before. I'm going to say it again. There are two, the t- two common types of shingles and common types of roofs that are used in the upstate. One is what we call a three-tab shingle, um, which is kind of the shingles that are kind of long and, and horizontal, uh, like rectangular types of shingles. Those are called three-tab shingles, um, also known as a 20-year roof. And then the others are the more compact-looking shingles. Um, again, if any of my insurance-adjusting buddies are listening to this, they're gonna that's going to hurt their ears. But I'm not talking to the insurance crowd. I'm talking to the real estate crowd. Um, but the others are the shingles that kind of look more compact. Those are commonly called architectural shingles. Um, and those are typically rated for 30 years. Now, you think the difference between a 20-year roof and a 30-year roof, well, what difference does it make? And most people aren't going to live in a house for 20 years, at least uh, unless they're you know older and not planning to move. Most people do move every 5 to 10 years. Um, and so it will oftentimes, theoretically, make sense if you're replacing a roof to just go with the cheaper 20-year shingle versus the 30-year shingle, right? Wrong. The three-tab shingle I despise. Um, When I was doing insurance adjusting work, those three-tab shingles, they can become what's called delaminated. They they can just very easily um, lose their seal and just basically just be damaged by wind damage very, very quickly. Um, and, And so because of that, I'm not a fan. I am not a fan of the three-tab shingle. They, it's just it, it just is not a good shingle. You shouldn't use it. it do, it's not that much more to upgrade to a 30-year architectural shingle. Just do it. Trust me. It, you do not want to have constant roof leaks happening, and those three-tab shingles are a lot more exposed to that. All right, that shameless plug. I, I am not getting paid by the architectural shingle industry, big shingle. (laughs) They're not paying me to say that. That is just me trying to help you guys out. All right. Um, So to bring it all back, the two most common reasons for roof leaks are the roof is old and worn out or there is storm damage. All right. Now, all that said, there could be other potential reasons for a roof leaking. One is what we call in the insurance world a manufacturer's defect. Basically, 
um, for whatever for whatever reason or however, there is a bad batch of shingles. Um, they are not caught by the roofing company. They just install the shingles, uh, even though they are not good shingles, and then the shingles end up leaking. That becomes then a a problem that your homeowner's insurance is not going to cover. However, you might have recourse uh, with your uh, roofing company. A lot of roofing companies will say, you know, hey, there's a warranty on uh, on the work that we're doing at that point. That's where that warranty becomes an important detail. Um, there can also be installation issues, also where the warranty becomes an important detail. Um, now, the most common installation issues are related to how shingles are nailed to the roof, because ultimately that's that's how the shingles are up there. They're actually nailed to the roof. Um, and it's it's really, really important where the nails are. And of course, if you've ever seen roofers up there, you can see that they're not oftentimes paying very close attention to where they're nailing the shingles. Um, and, and that's where getting a good roofing company is really important. Um, because in terms of installing a roof and nailing the shingles, there are two very minor things that can be done wrong that will have a major impact that can result in a roof leaking. One is if they drive the nails too far into the shingles. And so what will happen is the nail will actually go straight through the shingles. And, and and this can only be, I'm not saying that they do this all throughout the roof, just in a few spots. they will The nail will go straight through the shingles and then that causes a little hole in the shingle that water can then uh, get into. The other thing that I've seen happen is roofers nailing in between shingles. That's also a very common thing that can happen. Um, and when that happens, basically, again, the nail is exposed. And so um, water in the, in the right or wrong, depending on how you're looking at it, environment, water can then seep through the, the little area around the nail head and then can get into the roof that way. Um, now, there's also a phenomenon known as roof zippering, which is also an installation, typically an installation-related issue, which most commonly looks like shingles being blown up along the edges of the shingles. So typical wind damage that you have, the front of the shingle comes up and perhaps just gets ripped off. Um, and with zippering, it's the side of the shingle that ends up getting getting blown up. Um, and again, this is most common with uh, with three-tab shingles, but it, it can also happen with architectural shingles. Um, now, even though this would appear to be wind damage, right? You, you have the wind lifting the shingle up on the side. Homeowners insurance companies are going to deny this and say that this was an installation problem. The roofer misinstalled the roof. And I agree, a good roofer um, is capable of installing shingles in a way that they won't be able to be lifted along the edges. Um, there are different ways of laying down shingles without getting too much into the weeds. And there is a quicker like vertical racking method that you can Google if you're really interested um, that is more susceptible to, uh, to zippering. It is not the right way to do it. You want the roofing company to do it the correct way. Um, basically start in the corners, work their way um, up the side, 
And that is it, that combined with some other things will result in in your roof being strong enough to withhold those vertical winds um, and not lift the shingles up by the edges. Now, another phenomenon that we have run into that I have run into, you know, during my insurance adjusting days um, was called wind driven rain. Um, now, this is something that can happen during particularly during major storms. And so um, when you have heavy swirling winds combined with a major rain event, again, typically hurricanes, tropical storms, etc., it can push rainwater into all sorts of places, up under soffits, behind fascia, into gable vents, all sorts of areas that typically are not exposed to rainwater at all, typically are not going to have issues with rainwater. Um, and, and so what ends up happening in these instances is you think, okay, the roof is leaking and you call your homeowner's insurance company. They come out. There's absolutely no wind damage, no hail damage, no, nothing wrong with the roof. So why do we have water spots all around the house specifically kind of not really in the middle of the house, but along more the edges of the house, wind driven rain. And now I've seen wind-driven rain happen. When I say the edges of the house, I don't mean like directly, you know, where where the outer wall meets the ceiling. I mean, it can be several feet away from there. But if if we're looking at uh, water that's like in literally like right in the middle part of the house, um, I would be skeptical whether that's wind-driven rain at that point. Um, all that to be said, wind-driven rain is typically a covered loss by your homeowner's insurance company. So... Um, don't fret as long as it wasn't uh, a manufacturer def defect or an installation problem. Your homeowner's insurance should cover that. Um, the buildup of, of ice or snow on a roof can also cause issues and leaks, but this isn't usually a problem in South Carolina. So I'm not going to get into that at all. The only thing I'll mention is that a poorly constructed roof, and, and by that I mean the actual structure, the trusses, the rafters, um, a, a poorly constructed roof down here might not be able to withstand uh, heavy ice or snow sitting on it. Like just the weight of it, it might not be able to withstand. And this is something, uh, a mistake that some people will make is they will, um, in order to save costs, they will just install shingles, new shingles over, over old shingles, right? Because it costs labor um, and demo to take off the old shingles and then reinstall new shingles. There's a lot of reasons why that's a really bad idea, but one of them is that the roof's substructure is not intended to hold multiple layers of shingles. And then if you get snow and ice on top of that, you might find uh, your roof collapsing in on itself. Um, so that's just something to keep in mind. Now, moving on from rain and wind, or at least rain. Um, if you have trees around your house, you need to be wary of wind either pushing the tree down onto your house or a limb breaking and falling onto your house. I've seen a lot of roofs in Greenville destroyed by large limbs falling on them. Now, this is covered by insurance, thankfully. Um, but one common misconception that people have, and I, and I get this question honestly quite frequently, um, a common misconception that people have is that if the tree or limb that damaged their house came from the neighbor's yard, 
that it's their neighbor's fault and their neighbor neighbor needs to file uh, file an insurance claim. That, from an insurance standpoint, is not true. It does not matter where the tree or the limb came from. If it damaged your house, it is your homeowner's insurance that needs to pay for it. Think about it this way. If a tornado came through town and picked up a bunch of limbs from your neighbor and blew those limbs onto your house and caused damage, would it be the fault of your neighbor whose tree was torn uh, that the na- that the tornado did this? Would it be your neighbor's fault that the tornado transported these limbs from their house onto your house? No. I mean, you couldn't even prove that it was, I, I may, perhaps you could find a way to do it, but it would be very difficult to prove that it was your neighbor's limbs that damaged your house. Um, and, and it's really not any different with straight line speed. You, it was straight line wind, rather. Um, now, I, I will say this, and this is not legal advice, um, but I will just kind of throw this out there as an idea, as a thought. Um, if your neighbor, in your opinion, was negligent and allowed a dying or dead tree to stay in place near your house and wouldn't remove it even though you asked them to and perhaps offered to do it yourself... Um, at that point, you might have some legal options to explore. Talk to an attorney about that. Um, I can't provide any legal advice because I am not an attorney, and it's, a, uh, I believe, a felony in the state of South Carolina for me to act as an attorney when I'm not. Um, all right. Now, in general, aside from the wind potential aspect of trees, in general, it's not good to have trees right next to your house. Now, when I say right next to your house, I mean within a few feet of your house. Um, and, and again, I'm not going to get too specific with that. Um, if you are concerned about your house, have a contractor come look at it. Um, but generally speaking, we, we all like trees, but there is a distance. They, they need to have some distance from the house because they can not only collapse on the house, um, but also tree roots can uh, wreak havoc on your foundation, on your sewer system, on your septic system, and those types of issues typically are not going to be covered by your homeowner's insurance. So be very wary of trees near your house. They can cause all sorts of damage. And uh, Again, trees hanging over a home. They will also attract critters onto your roof and potentially into your attic. Bats, squirrels, um, maybe even mice. Um, they'll also cause, typically... Um, moss and fungus to grow on the roof, which then damages the roof. And then to add insult to injury, some people will then try to get the fungus off by pressure washing, doing stuff like that. No, 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 no. Do not do that. You are destroying your roof if you go up there and do that. Um, and also, while I'm talking about this, don't buy any of those roof extending sprays. I think I've, I've mentioned this before. There are some companies that are offering to, to like spray your roof with something that's like supposed to extend it by so many years. Listen, your homeowner's insurance, if they find out that you've done that, they are going to absolutely say you just voided uh, any coverage on your roof that we have in your homeowner's insurance policy by doing that. They will not accept that you have made unauthorized modifications to, uh, to the shingles. They do not want anything sprayed on that roof. Do not spray your roof. Um, that's just my, my personal opinion. Talk to your insurance company if you need more details. What about hail damage? Um, Not all hail is equal, um, which is obvious. 
Size is the most important detail at the end of the day. And in Greenville, we get a lot of small hail. Um, occasionally, we'll get decent-sized hail. Again, very rare that we get anything that resembles like those massive like baseball or softball-sized hail that, that you'll see sometimes in the Midwest. Um, typically, our, we just have pea marble-sized hail. Um, and oftentimes, that is not causing any damage to the roof. It's just not heavy enough to uh, to truly damage the roof in any uh, meaningful way. Um, but and, and so hail that actually damages a house in, in Greenville is fairly rare. Um, but if you're curious if your home has hail damage, um, most of the time your homeowner's insurance won't dock you for asking them to come take a look to see if you have hail damage or not. That's something, um, again, talk to your homeowner's insurance company about it to make sure that they won't dock you for that. But most of the good ones won't. Most of the good ones will send an adjuster out to your house if there's no hail damage. Um, they'll just call it a day and just say you don't have hail damage. Um, however, just remember that you they are going to then document everything that they see around your house to make sure that you're keeping it in good condition. Um, and so there's a little bit of a risk to that, right? It's kind of like letting the police into your house without a search warrant. Um, you might not want that. I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, and Now, I've seen multiple instances of people purchasing a home that already has hail damage to the roof. Not my clients. I have seen other people's clients. I'm, I'm, and I'm not just saying that. Um, if, if I have clients that want to buy a roof and I can see hail damage on it, I will strongly discourage them from doing that. And up to this point, I've never had a client uh, purchase a home knowingly uh, that it had, knowing that it had hail damage, unless it was a fixer-upper and, and you know they need to replace the roof anyway. Um, that's that's a problem, right? Because unlike Obamacare, homeowners insurance doesn't allow for pre-existing conditions to your roof. If your roof is has hail damage, wind damage, whatever, when you purchase it, um, your homeowners insurance is not going to then come in and replace that roof for you. And if you make a claim, here's what they're going to do. You, you would say, well, how do they know? Um, how, how do they know that this happened prior to me purchasing it? Well, they have ways. Um, they will look up when the last major hail event happened. And if your roof uh, has damage that the rest of the neighborhood doesn't have because they all replaced their roofs in a hailstorm that happened prior to you taking ownership, your roof's coverage will then likely be void. Um, so that's a big risk. It is a big risk if you're purchasing a home that has pre-existing hail or wind damage. Uh, you're exposing yourself to a, a scenario where you might not be able to make a claim if, or you might have your claim denied if you do in the future need to make a roof claim. So be very careful with that. Um, that's where my expertise comes in handy. I have part of why I've not had clients buy homes that have hail damage is because I can see the hail damage prior to them uh, purchasing it. And I will point it out. I will say, hey, just so you know, I, I see some major hail damage on this house. Um, and so that's something that has protected a lot of my clients over the years. So here we go. Um, we have Ian coming into town as I'm recording this. Um, hopefully it won't cause a ton of damage. Uh, but but that's a little bit of an idea of some of what happens in Greenville, some of how to think about it, how it relates to homeowners insurance. 
And I hope that was helpful. If it was, go back and listen to the episode. I don't know what episode number it was, but episode I did way, way earlier. The, the audio quality is terrible on it. I listened to it recently and was cringing, um, but it was uh, an episode that a lot of people said gave them some real useful content, content back in 2020 um, about storm season uh, is what I remember that I called it something about storm season. So go back and listen to that if you if you found this episode to be helpful. Um, and Make sure, as we always say, to subscribe to the show, download episodes, rate and review if you are using an app that allows for ratings and reviews. And I'd appreciate if you guys need a realtor to reach out to me. My contact information is in the show notes. Hope you guys stay safe through the storm and we'll talk again next week.